0: In art, there are plenty of examples of the mad scientist. Dr. Frankenstein, who creates the monster. Dr. Jekyll, who becomes the monster himself. Or Professor Moriarty, whose ends justify his means. And if none of these sound familiar, you should read more. But in all my life, I don't know if I've ever met a better living example of a 21st century mad scientist than Stu Whiffen, Minus the monsters, of course. Stu is an ideas man with business acumen, so he can dream up the wild concept and then also figure out the mechanics and finances of how to make it happen. He has enough passion to power a rocket to Mars. And while he is cautious when necessary, his willingness to jump into the deep end of a new project has helped breathe life into some truly amazing things. Though we often discuss careers in a linear sense on this podcast, Stu's interests and hobbies help tie jobs of the past to projects in the present, making him half mad scientist, half time traveler, minus the TARDIS and the butterfly wings. Seriously, you should read more. It's the next episode of Don't Talk to Me About Work, and this one is called Action. what is your earliest memory of something that you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: It's really weird because when I think of things like that, I, I, I always think surely I wanted to be something in the field of work that, that I'm currently in, which has been something that I've kind of worked towards all my life. But I think, I think from a very young age, I wanted to be, I wanted to work in music I definitely wanted to do something in music because it was the only thing that I was passionate about. Like even from an early age, just like records meant everything to me and uh, music videos and stuff like that it was the only things that kind of got got my creativity flowing and 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 got me excited about things visually as well as, you know, what I was hearing as well.
0: What was the adults in your life relationship like with work when you were growing up was it positive was it just like a thing you had to do in order to put food on the table in regards to my parents Mm -hmm. it
1: was it was really really important and and it's something that everything that i've done in my adult life completely 110 percent inspired by my father my dad when i was very young worked in the docks I, I i live in a place uh live near a place called tilbury and it's got a, a huge uh, you know tilbury docks is a, is a huge port in the uk uh and it was uh it, it was a job where um it was very sort of passed down through the family like my grandfather worked there and then my dad did um and so i remember my dad worked shift work and my mum was a, a hairdresser my my younger brother come a lot lot later, like eight years um, after I was born. So there was a lot of time where I remember it just ever being sort of one parent at home, and sometimes sort of staying with grandparents and stuff because my dad's work ethic was 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 pretty impressive. And and when I come along, he was doing sort of shift work in in, in the docks, but was also doing sort of part time gardening as well to kind of pay the bills it started to kind of cut back lots of things and, and my dad took the opportunity to get out and and it was discussed that he you know he was going to get a severance payment which was going to give him some money in the bank for service that he'd he'd put in now and it was discussed that we was going to take a year out as a family and my, my brother was born a, around this time as well and and we'd go and travel around europe for a year and that that never happened. But my dad did did leave the docks, and then I watched him set up his own business. And I watched him. We were a very working class family in the UK, and we you know we didn't have a great deal of money. And and the money that he had from that, he reinvested in himself and us, you know, long term. And and opened a, a, an estate agency or, or real estate, I guess, as, as as you'd call it. And and then. In in the sort of mid to late eighties, I watched you know th- this business absolutely boom. Um, there, it was a big time of of growth for the UK as well. And all of a sudden, I saw my dad just work for himself and create a business that was really really impressive and financially rewarding for him. It did mean he was out a lot. You know, we'd we'd never lived in a you know a big house. I had a big house, but then all of a sudden. You know, my parents had nice cars, and it was like wow. And then all of the, the 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 kind of stuff that was put into this country, and 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 the money that was available, that government then caused a huge crash, and and then my, my father's business went under, and then we was back to living in a very very small house again. And then I just watched him then pick himself up and and start another business, and which he he built up and and until his retirement a few years ago. So just absolutely inspired me and and it's it's something that i look at my relationship with my my dad and i look at the the time that he spent working and i could probably count on my hands the amount of time that we would sit and play and stuff like that when i was a kid and i have no i have yeah it's not like that's something i just think i wish we would have done more of that because i understand what he was doing and why he was doing it and so As somebody who's been self-employed for a long time myself that has children, there's times when I look back and I have to kind of assess like how much I was around when I could have been around more. But I was focused on trying to establish an income and and build a business. Uh, And so they're questions that, you know, you always ask yourself, you know, did I get that balance right? Probably not. Yeah, it's definitely something, you know, that that focus, especially looking at, at, at seeing my father's business go under. And then to see him pick himself up again and start again and build it up again was absolutely inspirational to me and and probably has given me the work ethic I have to this day.
0: The the first thing that I'd like to ask is, do you think any of the things that your dad or your mom did were things that they were passionate about, or do you think it was just an aptitude? Like, I'm just wondering if maybe your dad had like some kind of, like if he had a green thumb and so he figured if I'm going to have to do a part-time job, I might as well do gardening work because I like it or something like that.
1: No, not at all. The uh, same, same with um real estate, the same with, you know, the docs, purely financial. Okay. There, there was no passion for these things you know it was it was a means to an end it was an opportunity to to make money and to provide for his family
0: did they ever discuss with you what their hope was for you that they wanted you to find something you were passionate about were they did they push education
1: they didn't push education i wish they would have maybe a little more but they didn't they were quite traditional insofar as they were like, look, you need to get a, a trade, you need to have a qualification, you know, for uh, to give yourself something to fall back on. And uh, and before my dad was in the in the docks, he was a mechanic. And so for some bizarre reason, I mean, you you know me, and to imagine me as a mechanic is hilarious. <laughs> but uh, but I'm a qualified mechanic. <laughs> which is ridiculous I literally can barely open and shut a car door let alone a, a bonnet and what might be underneath the hood yeah so that in regards to the conversations I had with them it was very much about you know get yourself you know a job get yourself some income and yeah try and get something that you can fall back on but I'm sure as we discuss where my jobs went it was very much in contrast to what they wanted
0: did you know anybody who was doing anything that they were passionate about?
1: No. No. I mean, I'm forty eight and, and I left I left school uh in nineteen eighty-nine. And I reckon we where where I grew up, we lived near a huge Ford car plant. I reckon maybe thirty percent of the people in my school, uh the, the the guys at the time all went straight to Ford. Uh and, and a lot of them I know are still there now. 25 minutes on a train from central London so lots of my friends went straight to London and got office junior jobs and and you know and ended up working in the city that's what I'd done at 16 for one morning uh, and then I quit and <laughs> to 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 think of anybody that was doing what they were uh, a job that they were passionate about I really can't think of one That's a really good question
0: what on earth made you think that you could get a job? I'm just so fascinated by the the picture that you're painting, and then knowing all the things, the the things that I do know about you and what you've done, and that you are really passionate about them, like. Where did that idea come from that that was something that you could pursue? Like, where I don't, is it something that just drove you so hard that you had to pursue it, even though you didn't have examples of it? I feel like we, we, there are lots of podcasts out there where people talk about, you know, they talk to celebrities who are actors and things and they're like, did you know any actors? And they're like, nope, I just, you know, I, I went to the Royal Academy or the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts and, uh, and, and that's, did you, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, what on earth made you think that this was a viable option?
1: What, the career path that I chose? Yeah. Um. Well, it, it, I just sort of stumbled into it. I wasn't very good at anything. I wasn't academically great. I went to college and become a mechanic, but... I would sit in the mechanics class and everybody else in the mechanics class, you know, in the breaks and the lunch breaks would then go and look at their cars and and make their cars make louder noises and things like that. And I had an old car, but I'd painted Dr. Seuss's cat, um, cat in the hat on the bonnet <laughs> on the hood of my car. So that kind of tells you that I weren't really in their gang. And I was more interested in talking to the guys and the girls that, was studying art and fashion and that was the things that would fire me up because I could talk about music and I could talk about stuff like that with those um and so whilst I was studying that I kind of put together my first band and and that that enabled me to because I want to I certainly weren't a cool kid uh, at school you know I was classic in betweener you know I wasn't good at sports but I could kind of just got by i was lucky that i didn't get bullied i just kind of was was just an in-between a straight through the middle just kind of head down and but i did think i had something to say but no voice then and then when i got in a band i then got really excited and then had an audience and found out that I was a massive attention seeking show off (laughs) Um, (laughs) but what that also meant was I was in a band with seven other people and them seven other people didn't necessarily want it as much as me and if they did they didn't know how to facilitate it and then at that point I realized that I was quite driven for something when I liked it and then I got really really obsessed with doing stuff with my band and so I theoretically become my band's manager clearly couldn't give a shit about the mechanics course it was just a means to kind of go to college and hang out and and then all of a sudden we was doing shows and I was organizing those shows and and then I'd started I found a small venue near where I lived and I and I decided that I was going to put on a a club night I, I bought some turntables and I had a good record collection so I started putting together like a little club night and this was in like 1991, 92 and so at this point Nirvana had happened and all of a sudden everybody was excited about guitar music and grunge and there wasn't anywhere to go where I lived where you could hear that music so I set something up where every Friday night people could and I didn't earn much money out of it I think I may have earned like 50 pounds a week uh, out of that but it was my night and it meant I could put my band on there I could put other bands on I could meet other bands and I could meet other people and and yeah and it felt it felt really nice it felt like I'd kind of developed a little community and and I really liked it and I think that was kind of when I realized that this is kind of what I want to do at this point I was like 18 and I hadn't considered any other job now there was no way I was going to do anything else other than try and do more of what I was doing, whether that was bands or club nights, that was, that was kind of my focus at that age, hundred percent.
0: So can you talk about, I'm, I'm, super fascinated by this because every time i listen to your podcast off the beaten track i'm fascinated by the question that you ask people about their their days clubbing because our drinking age is much higher in america i think our relationship to like going out and dancing and things like that is very different here so can you talk just a little bit about mm-hmm. what a club night might be and like what the the scene was you mentioned that like guitar music was becoming more more popular but i guess just like what was the viability of of doing that kind Kind of, I was going to call it like event management, but that's not promotion. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Promotion. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a promoter. Yeah, I mean, it was just a case of just making it happen. Like, hi, you know, hired a little hall, tiny little kind of community hall that had a bar in it, designed some flyers by cutting out letters from a newspaper and st- like a ransom note and sticking them on there and then going to the local, um, shop that had a photocopier and photocopying them and then cutting them up and then going to the colleges and handing out these flyers and it's it it, it's really mad it's just like because when when you you know you hear all these people now looking back and talking about that kind of diy culture of doing stuff like that and it's always with such romance and like it was shit, man. It was like <laughs> trying to like not get thrown out of these colleges, like running around there, just giving out flyers to people that didn't particularly want them um, and standing outside other people's kind of gigs and clubs at like one o'clock in the morning going, here, take a flyer. And it was like, man, I want your flyer. But, it, you know, it had to be done. And it kind of, that was the kind of work ethic, I guess, in in a, in a roundabouts way. You, 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 you learned that, that kind of hard work would pay off and people would come to your night and what it also I think creates that ethic is the fact that already I guess working for myself then if you didn't do it no one else does it and so you're accountable if it's a good night take the pat on the back and if it's a shit night it's your fault man like you could have worked harder and so yeah that 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 was certainly something that that I learned very quickly you know, I was lucky with that night. That that night took off at the right place at the right time. I've run subsequent nights all over the place that haven't worked, but I had a goal to get to a certain venue. and And that was what was driving me to establish myself on my own in this tiny little venue because there was somewhere up the road that I wanted to be.
0: What was it like being a part of a band where you were the most motivated out of the group?
1: That's a really strange thing because that's something that's kind of, it's a blessing and a curse so the the first band ended up by the time that we kind of started to do okay you know in in the area that we lived in we was probably the the biggest band and yeah it was when you have to try and organize like eight people just to be in one place at one time for a rehearsal let alone saying you've now got to be at this place for this gig we've got a sound check at this time and and it was, yeah, it was 100%. All of the organization was me. And I'm not discrediting anyone else in the band, but it was me because I just knew I wanted it so bad. A lot of them did as well. Some of them not so much, but a lot of them did, but just didn't have that kind of, I don't know, organizational skills. I wouldn't even say I'm particularly organized, but I think I've got okay people skills maybe. So I could talk to promoters and I could talk to venue owners and and I felt kind of confident talking about their business and my business and and because I, I think it had been something I was obsessed about for so many years. So there was times when I'd look at the gigs and the rest of the band would just turn up and get trashed and play the gig and then just go and party. I'd always be the one there making sure everyone was there on time and then because I was the front man in the band – I did, I couldn't really be trashed, didn't want to particularly be trashed and then we'd come off stage and then I'd have to go and sort out the money and then I'd have to kind of go and talk to the promoter to see how it went and see if we can come back and plan another time. And And so there was times when I was really jealous that I didn't just get to be a dick and do what young people do. And that was exactly the same in the clubs. At 18, when you're running the night, I had to drive. I had to take my records. I had to take my turntables. So I was driving all the time. And half the time I was driving home with my friends that were either saying, oh, I don't need a lift home tonight. I've just met this girl. We're going to go and hang out. Or it would be, right, I've got to take my friends home. And and some of them are like absolutely wrecked. Some of them are high and they're experimenting with drink and drugs and girls and guys. And I was always the kind of guy that had to organise everything, and so I didn't get to do that stuff. And so it was just like, right now, I've got my night this weekend, and and I think I just felt lucky as well that you know Monday to Friday I didn't have to get up and get on a train and go and work in an office that I didn't want to work in. I could get up and go and buy my records and and go and do my flyers and stuff like that. So I felt lucky as well. So I was just worried that any given moment it might stop. So that's why I think I kind of just threw everything at it.
0: Fear is a great motivator.
1: Yeah, still is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. A couple of times in there, you kept referring to this eight-piece group as your first band. So what what happened? How did there become a second band?
1: We we was really lucky, like and we had a lot of fun, and we we, we done loads of gigs and stuff, and and then at one of these gigs we we met our manager, and, and that manager was Ricky Gervais, and and he wasn't famous then. He was a, he was a promoter, and I got on really well with. With, with, with Ricky, and he saw something in us, and and he managed us for a while, um, and then it just got to the point. It was a kind of comedy band, and and it just felt like it got to the point where we took it as far as we could take it, really. And I'd started writing serious songs, and and I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a serious artist, and uh, and I wanted, you know, I wanted to be in Radiohead. I didn't want to be in the Bloodhound Gang anymore, and, uh, and so. <laughs> Amazing. And so, and so, yeah, we, we we kind of parted ways really, you know, amicably, and we played our, our final gig, and it was wonderful. Yeah, some of the band started another band, and and yeah, I started a band with completely new people because I'd wrote some serious songs that I wanted people to hear, and was really lucky. We got a record deal quite quickly. Yeah, I, I would just we toured all the time. Then we 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 toured for about four years on and off. And we put a we put an album out. Even though when we was touring, I'd still <laughs> go right. Yeah, we can't we can't do any gigs on Fridays or Saturdays. so I've got to get home because I've got my nights to run. And so I'd kind of still be sort of spinning both those plates. And it, it, it just again. And, and I, I managed that band. And you know, we, we did have a you know management team, but they were more kind of people that would put sort of financial elements into it. And I think they felt that in regards to the kind of the, the front of house and the the person that'd have to make all the decisions and organize stuff it would be better if it went to me because I guess that's what I was kind of good at and I meant a bit about work but that I've got a very strange relationship with joy and and it's really weird to think back of all of these moments touring in bands and running club nights that you'd think there'd be so many amazing memories of just like joy and I couldn't pick one I've got like one memory of feeling absolute joy and that was at a club that I wasn't running in London in 1993 that I just got there. They played played a record by the Pixies that I like and I just remember dancing on this dance floor and just thinking this is the best time ever and I think until my children come along I don't think, yeah, I don't think there was anything that was pure joy you know, the best gigs in the world still, it weren't, when I say it weren't enough, it, it, it just felt like it was still part of getting somewhere, and it, you know, and it was like, yeah, that was good, but okay, so what, what are we going to do with that? Where can we go from that? And it was like, I should have just stopped and enjoyed it, and I didn't, and yeah, and I kind of regret that, because I wish I would have had a bit more, just pure, do you know what I mean? When I say like joy, just like simple joy, where it's like carefree, like, you know, that whole thing of like, you know, dance like no one's watching, like, you know, that. And like, I didn't have that because I was too preoccupied, I guess, with work.
0: Yeah. I think some, do, do you think that now you, when you have those moments, you try to like drink them in when it's happening? Or is it something that you think is still happening?
1: It's still happening 100%. <laughs> 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 there's some things, there's some things, but, uh, but yeah, again, it's that whole thing of like don't take your foot off the gas because it might all stop tomorrow.
0: So what happened with the band?
1: I can't play any instruments. And I, I sang in a band and I can't sing. I wrote the songs and I played the keys in the second band, but I can't play guitar really. I, I had to have the notes written on my keys on my keyboard because I can't play. But I kind of knew what sounded right, I think, through DJ and I knew what if it was played loudly and right, it would make people move. So I think, so yeah, we just got to the point where the limitations of us as as artists, as, as musicians, weren't good enough. You know, we 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 put out our last EP, and then the club that I was always wanted to DJ at, that I managed to end up DJing at, the guy that owned it said, "Would you like to manage the club?" And so. It fell at the right time and we done a, a last gig as a band and it was nice. And then I found myself managing the nightclub that was the first nightclub I ever went to that blew my mind and it was the club that I got to DJ at. And it's the club that 28 years later, I'm still here. And and it's, it's the most incredible place. It's the longest running alternative night spot in the UK. Yeah, it's my baby. It's called the Pink Toothbrush and it's geeky. Weird, wonderful, accepting, and everything that if you're one of those kind of outsiders that don't feel cool, you come here, you feel really cool because you're amongst your own. You'll find your tribe there. And that's why there's hundreds of clubs in Essex in the UK that have come and gone that have tried to be fashionable. But we're not fashionable. We've got a very, very unique style. It's slightly smelly. It's slightly grubby. But that style has outlived every one of those fashionable clubs because it's real and we're not chasing anything. We just like to make the people that come there feel like they belong. And, yeah, so that's something that I will always be ridiculously, fiercely proud of. And it's my hacienda. (laughs) (laughs) Through the club stuff, I ended up, um, meeting somebody that was an actor uh, in in a in a big UK show and and just got on really well with him and so I decided that I was going to start a, a a regular club event with him in London and again the timing fell right very very famous uh, at, at that point and it and the club a new club just opened and we we put the night in there and it, it just become very successful very quickly um, and that was far more luck than anything else. And then that club bought another club around the corner, and one of the other people that had been doing, you know, very very well in in music um, was our mutual friend Scroobius Pip. And Pip grew up where I grew up, and used to come to my club. The first live band Pip ever saw was my band, <laughs> and and so I think it was the first one the, the the band that he went and saw a lot growing up was my band, and 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 so. But we we weren't really sort of friends or anything. We, we we sort of knew each you know knew who each other was, uh, and then Pip had you know established himself in music and was having you know a lot of success, and and we just got chatting and, and we we put on um, a hometown gig for for Lesac versus Pip, and then I mentioned to Pip about doing a club night, and so we we set up a club night ten years ago and just had the best time. Uh, through that, I met Pip's friend Chris. I got on well with Chris and Chris and I launched, uh, well, Chris had a a clothing label that was kind of a little bit dormant. And, and so I, I I really liked what he was doing. so I said, look, I'd love to do some stuff with you. And so we went into partnership and we set up Redshift Rebels and, and really enjoyed that, you know, setting up a clothes label was, was something that was really fun. And, and, you know, it, it wasn't hugely financially rewarding, but it was good fun, and you know, and I was working with people that excite me, and 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 you know, and and get me fired up, and and Pips like that, you know, the the level of drive that Pips got, and to see you know how he's just took success, you know, the the success of his music and his you know and his poetry and moved it into like books and into podcasts, and you know. Guys are legit actor there you know, and it's it's just it's inspiring, and I like being around people like that because it inspires me to to try and sort of do more more stuff that like that interests me. And so, whilst we was doing these club nights, um, me and Pip, Chris was one of our DJs, and we'd and Pip had started his podcast and. And it was like... And, and I I had no real interest in podcasts. I used to listen to the Ricky Gervais podcast and when I was driving around. But that was about it. Maybe Russell Brands and then obviously Pips. Pip mentioned to, to, to Chris and I, would we be interested in, in coming on and doing like a, a, a drunk cast? Because the conversations that we'd have in the car on the way home from the club night was just like what music we've been listening to what films we've been seeing we're, we're all big fans of the ufc you know what fights we'd seen and we'd be drunk and we'd be taking the piss out of each other because that's what you know that's what friends do that are comfortable in that relationship that you can you know you can have a fun of each other and that that's exactly what happened and then pip said Look, let's record it let's do it as a podcast and and we come to the very room i'm in now which is like a little kind of bar i've built at the end of my garden and we had the best time and i was super nervous and then i think after like we had done maybe two i think pip mentioned like how many people had listened to them which freaked me out because if i have a drink i wake up riddled with anxiety that i might have said something that might have upset someone i never have but i always think that i have and that's getting worse as i'm getting older and so we ended up just recording these drunk casts and chris and i i think liked it because we was getting messages from people just going oh we listen to you on pips podcast like you know you should do your own it's really funny and so we did and and chris and i set up our first podcast called hardcore listing and we still do it to this day and it's had 1.6 million downloads now maybe and it's just super fun and we've got to meet loads of really lovely people and and yeah one of the constants that would happen throughout the recording of the hardcore listening was if we had musicians on I'd get over excited I'd want to just nerd out about music and, and as much as Chris is a great DJ and, and, and loves his music he's not an absolute anorak nerd like me so <laughs> I just thought I might set up my own podcast about music alongside it uh, which is what I've done, and and that gives me joy talking to all of my favourite, you know, musicians who I never in a million years thought I'd ever get to have a conversation with. And you know, Pip come on as my first guest, and it was insane because I've sat in the room that we recorded in with Pip hundreds of times, and I speak to Pip every day on the phone. But then it felt so weird that I was on my own to do it, and I'm not a broadcaster in any way, shape, or form. I've got a dodgy Essex accent and I've got a lisp and it's like that's one of the things I love about podcasting is the fact that it's it's punk as fuck and I'm sorry I've just swore on your podcast sorry it's fine it's good um, like it's just punk and there's no rules and I love that I just love the fact that anybody can do it and you know if you follow the podcast you you've probably seen that I get overexcited recording these episodes and I've gone from putting one out every couple of weeks to four a week. I'm currently got like 70 that unreleased episodes that I'm just can't wait to get out, but I'm just like, look, just wait. But I just get so excited because I finish. I'm like, that was the best conversation. Ever. That was definitely the best guest ever. And then I'll go and say my wife, oh, I've just recorded this one. Like that was the best guest ever. And it was like, you said that last week. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but this one was the best one. And then that obviously the following week, it changes again. But, uh, but yeah, just to talk to creative people about their journey and the things that inspire them and motivate them and the way that the path unfolds. like I love stuff like that. And it's been the best thing about lockdown is what I thought was going to be potentially the end of all the podcasts because you couldn't sit in rooms with people was finding out about Zoom you know, and, and doing what we're doing right now. And that's been a joy because I've got to speak to people that I would never have got in a studio in London I'm going to name drop because it still blows my fucking mind that I've had conversations with the Foo Fighters and the killers last week. And it's like, I don't get to speak to people like this. I'm like that bloke with a weird accent from Essex. And it's like, but zoom means that it's, it can happen. And like, and it all just comes from just, I think just being pretty nice to people and trying to get on with people and, and yeah, not taking the piss And so, yeah, that's been really, really important for keeping my well-being where I need it to be and to keep my brain active. Because for somebody that likes to spin a plate, when lockdown says you can't do anything, that's quite weird. Um, But, you know, obviously my club's been shut, so that was difficult. But the one thing that was a constant that was really good was, was the magazine. And so we've off the beaten track podcast. It, it gets to the, I'm sure this must be really messy for any of your listeners trying to keep up with this kind of web <laughs> of fucking nonsense that i I get involved in. But, but yeah, well I was trying to get more listeners for the music podcast and, and I thought, right, I might spend some money advertising it and try and see what I could do. And I couldn't find anywhere to do it. So um, I mentioned to Pip uh, and previous guest of your podcast, Adam Richardson, uh, who was doing a bit of artwork for us? That I've got this idea of starting a magazine. I've never run a magazine. I know fuck all about magazines, but I was like, can't be hard, can it? <laughs> like, let's just have a go. So I said to Pip, like, let's start a magazine about podcasts. What right now when print magazines are, are folding everywhere? Yeah, yeah, let's let's, <laughs> let's 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 do it. I mean, if you looked at the business plan, God, it's flawed. But um, I was like, oh, let's just have a go if you're going to do something in the world of podcasting and one of your partners is pip it's amazing how many doors that you knock on open when he knocks and so it was great and it was something that i just said Let, let's just see what we can do and we was so lucky that we got to partner with acast spotify and bbc and a little bit later audible uh, and and we got to meet you you know, and, you know, you wrote for us for, for, for a long time, which was lovely, and, yeah, and, and so we got to do this amazing thing that has grown and grown and grown, and and it's, yeah, and it's it's meant that I've got to, you know, look at people like, you know, Adam, who I, I didn't know, like, three years ago, and like and I think he's got to be one of my best friends now. I, like literally speak to Adam, like, twice a day, like, every day, and I'm aware, and I'm very grateful of the opportunities that, that that magazine has presented. And and a lot of that comes down to Adam's work ethic, which is relentless and organized. And I'm completely the fucking opposite. I'm haphazard. I'm all over the place. I'm like, I've got this idea. And he must just think, oh, fuck's sake, what now? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we're going to do this. And I'm like, <laughs> And bless him, you know, I can see it all over his face. He's thinking, I'm gonna end up having to do the work on this, aren't I? And uh, and then Stu's gonna take all the credit and say, Yeah, it's my idea. But um but yeah, it, it's it's a really interesting dynamic pod Bible. Like because I am I've got this idea guy and a hundred miles an hour, whereas Adam's far more steady and organised and smart it's really nice that pip sits between us and like he'll just kind of mediate and just go right i like that idea right how much work is this going to be right okay then let's try and so it it works really nicely between the three of us it's it's a real mixed bag of characters that that ensure that it it functions you know in a in a bananas way in an exciting way and and that's all I know, Jordan. Everything I've done has been exciting, bananas, odd, stressful, and and yeah, and I'm just just happy that there's been a few little things in, you know, over the years. I, I took I took a year out when my daughter was born, and went and worked on a building site as a window fitter. I'm scared of heights, so it was the worst job I could ever have chose to do. I'm looking out the window now and it's chucking it down with rain. And every time I get up in the morning and it's chucking it down with rain, to this day, I think I'm so glad I've not got to walk, walk onto a building site today. And that's not because I think I'm better. You know, i met some amazing friends that I'm still friends with that this day building sites, but it's just not what I want to do. And I'm really, really lucky that I get up in the mornings and I get to do something that I want to do. i I do something that I'm excited about and I'm passionate about. And I still, those little kind of moments where I'll phone up Pip and go, mate, I've just fucking recorded a podcast with blah 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 blah, mate. It was amazing, and like, and and I think that's really. It's, it's I'm just lucky. I'm just so lucky that I get to do stuff that's that's fun, and 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 the fear then comes because I like the fun stuff, and it and I don't want it to stop, and. You know, so it just means trying to constantly keep spinning them plates and and yeah. But I've also learned now if one of them plates falls off, then there's another couple to keep spinning and then at some point you'll find a new plate and start spinning that as well.
0: What do you hope someone who's listening to you tell the story takes away from it?
1: If you've got an idea, just have a fucking go. Just have a go. You've got nothing to lose. It don't matter. It's like just have a go at it. And and don't be afraid. If it's, I, I think what's really important, so well, if just getting that balance right. If you need to, you know, work your current job that you might not be happy in, or you are happy in, but you want to do something else, but you still need to work that job to get the money to help do the new thing. Like, just take your time and get the balance right there until you just feel that you're at that point where it's like, right, I've probably got enough to take the gamble now. And it's, it's easy to say when you're young with no responsibilities, but then obviously when you, you know, I know people that, that, you know, my age and uh, in and around my age that don't like their jobs and want to do something, but it's too much of a gamble to, to make that jump and start something on your own. And I get that completely, totally get that. But if you think your idea is really good and you believe in it, then just give it a go.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's great, because I, I think the other thing, too, having the experience that I do of having worked with you and Pip and Adam on Bible is that I think the the dynamic is that you're not afraid or or maybe you're not showing that you're afraid to go and talk to the people, because I think something that Adam and I have in common is sort of like, oh, well. I don't, maybe they don't want to talk to me or maybe I'm bothering them or like, maybe, you know, maybe we're too small for somebody like that. And I feel like you're the kind of person who's like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to say, no, then you move on. Like
1: don't know don't get
0: right. Yeah. 100%. And so I think, I think that's right. Like, just, just do it. Just go and do, do the thing. Because even if it's, you know, I have things in my life that I went for that aren't really a part of my life anymore, and I don't regret doing any of them just because they're not a part of my life anymore because they led me to meeting lots of people. You know, I'm not, I'm not in the wrestling world anymore, but if I hadn't done that, I would never have met Pip and I, we yeah. wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So I think yeah. those things are all, even if it's just something you do for a little while or something, you try and then decide, uh, oh, this wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. So I'm just going to move on. It's always going to be worthwhile.
1: But I think the do like, make sure whatever you do, you do it to the best of your ability because We've just... I mean, not that I watch it, but we've just had the Brit Awards, which is a, the big kind of corporate music awards in the UK. And and I know that there's people that, even from back in the 90s when I was doing bands, that I know for a fact sit and will we'll watch that show and go, this is just shit. I'm better than them. You know, my band was better than them. And that worries me that, that people carry bitterness like that. And I never have that and i never have that because i think i had a go at it and i gave it my best and if it didn't work then it didn't work like put that to bed onto the next thing and like but to kind of have that bitterness of like well i'm better than him i could have done that it's like well just have a go at it and do it to your best and that's all you can do you know you can't you can't deal with luck's luck you know that, that you've got no say over that just do your best and if it don't happen. It's not always the best, but on to the next thing, you know, and and don't carry bitterness. Bitterness is something that freaks me out.
0: And I I think sort of coming back to something that you mentioned earlier, I think that bitterness is also going to stand in the way of experiencing joy. Because when those when the good things are happening, if it's not the thing where you want it to be happening, you're going to have a hard time recognizing oh shit, what's happening right now is really fucking cool. And I'm really proud of this. It's just not getting a Brit award. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that, that it can poison every other part of your life too.
1: I can go to my boxing club and and I can afford to pay £20 for a private lesson today. I can, I can take an hour out of my day now and go to the gym and pay someone £20 to to box with me and like £20 pounds is, is, is a lot of money a lot of people spend that on a, on a gym membership I understand that but and I'm certainly not rich in any way shape or form i make that clear and I don't necessarily aspire to be wealthy like I aspire to be able to get out of bed and do something I want to do and be able to pay my bills and that's what I've got And but I got joy yesterday just thinking All right today I'm going to actually take an hour off and I'm going to go and do that uh, and that is what my hard work and drive can enable me to do. Things like that, little things like that, where I'll just walk out and just think, "Oh, I love that. That was really good." And it was like, "Right, I better hurry up home now, just in case all of my businesses have just gone under." <laughs> <But> like-
0: <laughs> Healthy amount of fear, you know. Just
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm not that bad, a promise. Well, just gotta check my phone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I really appreciate this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Jordan, um, thanks so much for for asking me on and thanks for sitting there and smiling while I've just spoke at you for over an hour.
0: No, it was great. (laughs) It was really great. I'm already brainstorming ways to get Stu to invite me on his podcast so I can do all the talking next time. Just kidding, Stu. When you've been working with someone for a while, it's so insightful to get them to sit down and share some of their past with you. It helps to paint a more colorful picture of who they are and why they do things a certain way. Stu is a go, go, go kind of person. And now I totally understand why. And I'm feeling encouraged by his take action attitude to not sit on my ideas, but to breathe life into them so they could be shared with the world. This episode's guest was Stu Within, a podcaster, magazine and clothes label owner and club promoter in the UK. You can find out more about him on Twitter and Instagram at Stu Withen and follow his podcasts, Off the Beat and Track and Hardcore Listing both of which are part of the Distraction Pieces podcast network. Don't forget to also check out podbiblemag.com for more on the UK's only podcasting magazine. Speaking of sharing with the world, you can check out my website, jordanrisieri.com, or follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at JordanRizzieri. Until next time, give it a go. Don't Talk to Me About Work is an independent podcast. Our managing producer is Jeremy Steinkamp, and our artwork was created by Ashley Steinkamp. I'm Jordan Rizzieri, executive producer and host.